Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. As always, we're sponsored by Vigit. Bet fake coins, win real prizes, what's not to love. Enter, use our promo code ALLSTARS to help support the show. And let's get right into it. We have a lot to talk about, mainly for football. We'll start with the lesser of them, in our opinion, college football. You know, because I was not in the playoffs. Anywho, exactly. I just had it astray, you know. So, wasn't a whole lot that happened this past weekend. We're preparing for bowl season, which will be exciting, except I realized the PapaJohns.com bowl doesn't exist anymore, so my heart's broken, but Tragic. we'll get through it. Will we? I, I don't know. There's probably, there's got to be some zany name for a bowl. We're going we're gonna to hope. We'll, we'll get you guys posted on that during bowl season. The big news that happens, and I think this is what a lot of people have been waiting for this season, Army-Navy game. <laughs> right. who actually who won army won this year right i think army won honestly i saw one fake <laughs> wake fake punt and that was all i watched that entire game okay so despite my joke and due diligence before the show i do not realize who won i'm pretty sure army did i was incorrect navy won who had the worst record good for them and for like the like 13th straight year the under was set at 35 and a half and the game went under again. So props to all our good. So, degenerate so to anyone looking there. to start world war three attack via land, not via the sea. Our Navy is stronger. <laughs> Navy is stronger. Unless, unless you wage war playing soccer, then hey, maybe, maybe you'll win. Fine. Yeah. But you know, kind of, I only bring this up just because this is the point where it's, we're waiting, we're preparing for all these exciting bowl games and the college football playoffs. And Army-Navy sort of fills that void. Granted, Army should have a bowl game themselves, but interesting game, fill a lot of tradition, and you know it's good to watch. It's nice December football. The one other thing it also means, being this low point in college football, is the Heisman. I know that's what everyone else is waiting for. And Bryce Young... Pretty convincingly wins the Heisman, in our opinion, very well-deserved. Would you say so? Oh, yeah, no, I, I would. Um, first of all, congratulations to Bryce Young, first-ever quarterback to win the Heisman from Alabama. Uh, this is back-to-back Heisman for the University of Alabama. Devontae Smith last year, now receiver with the Eagles. Bryce Young this year, who knows where he'll get drafted to in this upcoming draft, but very much well on his way, so congratulations to him. Beat out a couple of guys. The main uh, contender for him was Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan, I believe a linebacker, if I'm not mistaken. And every once in a while, we see some linebackers, some defenders make the final cut. And I think most recently, Manti Teo was up for, for the Heisman a couple of years ago. But we have it. I think Charles Woodson is the last defensive player to actually win the Heisman, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. I'm also not the best with Heisman stuff, but usually every year it's a Except for last year when Devonta Smith won it, it's a quarterback or a running back. Yes, it, it's but almost exclusively an offensive player on one of the premier programs. I wanted to bring up Woodson and Hutchinson, both Michigan guys, um, because the idea of a defensive player winning the Heisman is kind of getting lost on people. I think it's just we, you know, you know, fans of the game tend to get caught up in the offensive things. It's the more exciting side of of the game, and and, and I get that. But, you know, there are a lot of players that can do a lot of things on the defensive side of football. 
I'm I'm not necessarily going to try and start a you know Hutchinson should have won Heisman campaign. I, I I don't think Bryce Young is any bit undeserving. I just wanted to bring up the idea: Are we ever going to see a defensive player win the Heisman again, or is it just you know getting your name up there is about as good as you get? I don't know if never say never is the right phrase for it, but in college, like. NFL, it's so hard to win an MVP even if you're a defensive player and you have some freakishly good defensive line players or linebackers. The problem is in college, like if you have like Hutchinson, for example, he's one player and he can be extremely dominant. With that being said, quarterbacks and other teams may still be able to throw for a ton of yards or rush for it. You can only do so much. And it's just because you have a guy who could win the Heisman and will then ultimately go pro, but then the rest of your defense, like maybe 30% of them will go pro. And that's if you're a good school. So there's plenty of exploits for an offense. If they have someone who's capable of it in short, it's going to take a record breaking season or something just so freakish that like everyone's talking about, like you would need the college version of Lawrence Taylor this is kind of what I'm thinking about. Someone so dominant just disrupts everything and hopefully from a power five conference because, you know, not to bag on Cincinnati and that's not my intention, but if you had someone who was doing that in a lesser conference, people would probably wouldn't bat an eye at it. Okay. I have two more, two more questions about this. I want to ask number one, if Bryce Young was on Michigan and Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson was on Alabama, do you think this result would have been switched? No. Okay. If they did the same stats. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm literally just saying mm-hmm. for different schools. Number two, who gets drafted higher? The, ooh, that's that's a good question. Well, let's let's think about this here. You know, the season isn't set in stone yet, but you have like the top few draft picks of the Lions. You got the Jaguars, the Texans. The only team of those three who really needs a quarterback would arguably be the Texans. I don't think you give up on Trevor Lawrence. I don't think you give up on Jared Goff yet. I was I was going to say, I think if a quarterback that you like falls into your lap that you're comfortable replacing Goff in, you do like, like if for some reason, let's just say they really, really, really want Bryce Young. They think he's going to fit their system perfectly, whatever. I think you do it. But if it, I don't think you reach on a quarterback in, in this draft, if, you're not fully sold on them because you're right. God, there is a much lower floor than Jared Goff. Yeah. It's Tim Boyle. Dan Campbell also, and this is not meant to be just full lion slander, but I don't think he's the right coach for it. That's, you know, a whole different story. Lions need to do much more than just add a quarterback. It's not all Jared Goff's fault. But with that being said, I think there would be a need for a defensive end, defensive tackle on Hutchinson. And you know, I don't know. This is my own ignorance. I don't know what team would specifically need him, but I could see him going like in the top five as long as he doesn't get hurt and has good showings in both the college football playoffs and during his pro day and the combine. Yeah. If he does that, then yeah, I could definitely see him going very early. The quarterback is a tough one just because this year less teams inherently need quarterbacks. They have young talents. It's just can they use them properly? Well, there you have it. So Bryce Young, Heisman winner for Alabama. We'll see what happens in his future, Hutchins' future. You got your hand up. One more, one more. I want to throw one sick thing at you. Oh, God. 
what if Bryce Young, what if, what if the Eagles decide to draft Bryce Young to replace an Alabama Oklahoma quarterback with another Alabama quarterback? Okay. First of all, I am on board for the replacing Jalen Hurts foundation. I think that is the best thing the Eagles could do. They're not going to do it though. It's just not going right. to happen. Um, but also like to me, Bryce Young and Jalen Hurts are very similar in what they bring to the table. I don't know how much your offense changes with Bryce Young. He might just be a better version of Hurts. We don't know yet, but like, I don't think you take that risk because at the end of the day, you're, you would just be switching out for, you know, if Bryce Young was a, you know, standard in the stay in the pocket kind of thrower, that'd be a different story, but he is, he is a kind of get outside the tackles, move around a little bit in the pocket type of player, which is exactly what Hurts is. At that point, you're just switching out a lefty for a righty. I don't think that's really worth it. <laughs> I think Justin Fields will be a poor man's Bryce Young. <laughs> so Bryce Young will be better, assuming he's in a proper environment. But they're going to play very similar. And I think Bryce Young, assuming Justin Fields is stuck in Chicago forever, which he probably will, I think Bryce Young will be like a better version of that. I, I don't know about that. Justin Fields has got big dick Nick riding up on his back. <laughs> you can't say that. I think well, I, mean, I can. can. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Who gets censored? Look, if I get censored for that of all things that I've ever said, then, you know, whatever. But there you have it, though. That is where we're at. Bryce Young Heisman college playoff set. That's going to kick off on New Year's Day. rest of the bowl season will start a little before that. So we'll keep you posted on all that fun stuff. We're going to take a brief break from football here and go over to basketball into the NBA season well underway at this point. So let's talk about the COVID situation for a second. It's obviously a little more under control than last year in terms of how, how we, and I say we, I mean like the league and people just know how to handle it. So we've seen less game suspensions uh, and postponements. We've less players actually get the virus that we've seen a lot a handful of, of players go on to the COVID list but not necessarily miss too many games because of it you know NBA is just being safe with the close contact but there have been situations recently rising where there are certain breakouts among teams the Hornets have a handful of players test positive the Chicago Bulls are actually now up to 10 players who have tested positive you need eight active players to be able to play a game that's the NBA's rule the Bulls do not have that so their next two games have been postponed I don't know if there's been an official date set for them, um, but the Bulls will not be playing tomorrow. They will not be playing Thursday. Kobe White was close to going to be able to be active tomorrow. They're just not even going to take the risk after Alizé Johnson became the 10th player to contract the virus. This is not people in the protocol. This is they have had 10 people test positive for the coronavirus. I think the NBA is doing the right thing here. Um is this really more of a contained situation? The Bulls just had some slip-ups or is this going to kind of keep popping up this year? I'm going to be optimistic and say it was just someone got it on the Bulls. And because of that, you know, being close contact, you're playing with them daily. Everyone else got it. It doesn't help that it's just the virus has been getting worse. All these variants have been we're almost back up to where we were last year, and it was bad at this time last year, if anyone remembers. I, I'm going to be optimistic and say I wouldn't even call it a slip-up. I think it was just one of those where everyone's practicing, everyone's vaccinated, and they weren't wearing masks. 
And, you know, someone got it, started transferring, and we'll go from there. I think you'll see a lot more people sitting out because of COVID protocols in probably the next two months. But I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of this entire team slipping up and games postponed. I think this is sort of a one-off. I am interested to see where they put it. Just, you know, these schedules are... Messy. Made to be robust. And definitely messy. So when you move one piece, a lot of other pieces get switched with it. Yeah, it's, it's likely we could even just see these games tacked on at the end of the season or something like that. That would um, make the most sense. That, that's what I'm thinking. But you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm sure the NBA has a plan that they're going to announce relatively soon. Um, but that's where the Bulls are out, so they won't be playing at least until this weekend. If you're a Chicago fan, you have to turn on another team for the next few days. We're going to stick on this idea of COVID for a second because the, uh, the, the Novak's nightmare, Kyrie Irving, has been making headlines again as there is potential that he could be allowed to play again this year. It's, it's not that he isn't allowed to play. Remember, if, if you remember a few episodes back at the beginning of the season, we were talking about Kyrie's situation and we discussed how he, he isn't allowed to practice or play in his home stadium because of the, the COVID vaccine mandates in, in Brooklyn. And there's other certain areas he wouldn't be able to travel to. So they just shut him down completely saying it's not worth our time for Kyrie to only be able to play some road games. Now there's talk of the Nets saying that he is going to play this year. It hasn't, to my knowledge, necessarily been specified whether that means he's just going to play those few road games or he is going to get the vaccine or whatever, I guess, supplement, if there is one that the NBA will allow um, for him to be able to play in those games. But to, to me, the Nets did the right decision at the beginning of the year. There's no point to having two different teams, essentially one with Kyrie Irving, one without Kyrie Irving. It's too much to, to you know flip through, plus the drama that Kyrie always adds anyway. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot in this. What, what is your first takeaway from this idea that you know Kyrie could come back to play this season? It, intriguing, to be plain and simple. I am skeptical, though, just because – He's got to get vaccinated and he's got to I, – I don't think there's any supplements. I don't think that's an NBA thing. But, you know, who knows just what Kevin Durant has been saying to him. And I, I'm suspicious is the best word to describe it. I don't think we're going to have an Aaron Rodgers situation. But this leaves you up for what is he actually doing and – like best case scenario, he's got to only be playing the road games. Like, right? It it doesn't sound like it, which is why I, I wanted to bring up the idea. Is this more of the Nets? The Nets, I believe, are in first place in the Eastern Conference right now. So clearly they don't necessarily need Kyrie Irving. Is this more to bolster their own team or to finally be able to unload Kyrie Irving to somebody else? I'd imagine it's to bolster their own team, but... Maybe maybe they have different intentions. I don't think there's really a whole lot you can get for Kyrie Irving other than, you know, a perennial all-star who may help their team could be Ben Simmons, for example, which we'll get into shortly. But other than that, there's not a whole lot really on the market that you'd want to trade Kyrie for unless it was like a package of players like from the Pacers. That, that's fair. That'd be interesting because Brooklyn had, would have some money to have to shift around because, again, they're one of those teams that – most of their their assets are monetary you know monetary assets are in three players so it, it's always tough for them to be able to make moves like that but 
Well, we'll see, but let, let's go into that because, as you mentioned, a perennial all-star is potentially back on the market as the Philadelphia Sixers have re-engaged trade talks uh, about Ben Simmons with a handful of teams, the Portland Trailblazers, the LA Lakers, the Sacramento Kings, among those teams. The, um, the first report that had come out was for potentially trying to get Damian Lillard to Portland. That's been a dream of Sixers fans all offseason. Um, that's not an option. Damian Lillard has said he's not leaving Portland. Portland has said Damian Lillard is off limits in all trade scenarios. They seemingly countered with what was reported as another guard. We assume that was CJ McCollum and the Sixers said no. To me, that sounds like Portland is no longer a trade partner unless it's a, a third party type situation. But, but then before we get to Ky the, the Kyrie Irving tie-in we want to get to, let's talk about some of these other teams. The Lakers, you want to go, you want to talk about the Lakers here for a second because the, the Lakers are very similar to the Miami Heat when it comes to players available, if, if uh, I'm not mistaken here. <laughs> they like to stick their grubby little fingers and everything. Yeah, apparently the Lakers would like Ben Simmons, which, sure, any <laughs> team I think would be better with him if they use him right. I don't know how that works in any capacity unless you get rid of Russell Westbrook. But, yeah, there's interest in there. I would assume some sort of three-team facilitation. But I I don't think the Lakers know what they want to do, and I think they're just sort of in this lost kind of middle ground. Like, this isn't the team that's going to win a title. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they know they need to make some kind of move, and the only options they really have are to move on to their superstars because – their role players are either used, you know, no have no value or on two minimum of a contract to move for a good enough player. So yeah, someone like Ben Simmons almost has to be their target because what else can they do? Would you like Russell Westbrook on the Sixers if this was something that came into fruition? Yes. And the reason I'll give behind it is the fact that you have a point guard who's not playing any games this year. You're getting arguably an all-star in return for it. That You have to focus on that like a win. He, Russell Westbrook's getting older. You know, he's not a great shooter by any means, but I think you take him. He is the most you're going to get for Ben Simmons. I promise you that. I'd agree with that. Um. So, you know, we'll see about that. I've, I've alluded to the tie-in of Kyrie Irving here. You know, my idea of the Nets finally playing Kyrie, if he's not going to get vaccinated, is that they're trying to trade him because a player like Ben Simmons is very readily available. And someone like Ben Simmons and someone like Kyrie Irving have one very important thing in common, and that is both of them have about zero trade value right now, meaning they are each other's trade value, which is crazy because if they went to any other of the 30 NBA teams, they're not going to get a Kyrie Irving or Ben Simmons type offer for the opposite. If they can make some kind of deal go down, Ben Simmons on Brooklyn, that team's winning a title. Kyrie Irving on Philly, that's who they have to beat in the Eastern Conference Finals to get to the said title. That's I think Russell Westbrook would be an amazing addition to the Sixers. Do not get me wrong. But I think there are a handful of players that would be better, and I think Kyrie Irving is one of them just because Tyrese Maxey has been excellent for you guys in your system. You guys have looked like almost as good as a defensive team as you were with Simmons. And you've had a guy like Maxi running the helm who's not a defensive player. Imagine if you just have a better version of Tyrese Maxi. Like Maxi brings so much energy that someone like Kyrie doesn't necessarily bring, but Kyrie makes all the misses that Tyrese Maxi has. Ky Kyrie makes up for it in other ways. 
I, I just, I think that's a great fit. Other than I don't think Joel Embiid would like Kyrie Irving very much. I would tend to agree with that. But yeah, right now they both have no trade value and there's potential. It's just an interesting thing that I wanted to bring up. Um, I have one more while we're on Ben Simmons, though, that I have, I've alluded to a couple of times. We've talked to a handful of times about on this show, but I think this is the most likely destination for Ben Simmons and it's going to pain you to your core. I think he's going to the Boston Celtics. And I okay, think you're going to get, get Jalen. I think you're going to get Jalen Brown. And that's found me. I think that's the dream scenario for both teams, actually, because if you've if you've been looking on the the social medias recently, you've seen that there. I don't even know if there actually is tension between this whole Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Thing. I don't I don't know what's going on, but people are just starting to be led to believe that the it's it's not quite as like a paradise situation as you might think. And Jalen, I assume as as we all probably do, wants to be the guy at some point. He he's on that cusp of superstar level. I think he'd be perfect for Philly. He's a bigger guard. He can shoot. He can defend. He can he can score. He and Tobias Harris to me are very similar basketball players. Just Harris is a, a two or a three, and and Harris is a three or uh, excuse me, Brown is a two or a three. Harris is a three or a four. You put both of those guys on the court next to LMB, it almost doesn't matter who the other two guys are. He's not as good of a defender as Ben Simmons, but he is a good defender, a very good defender. And then you go to the flip side. Jason Tatum is going to average 50 points per game if Ben Simmons is who's passing to him. The Boston Celtics are going to give up maybe 90 points a game if Ben Simmons is their number one defensive player. He has worked with Al Horford before, a guy who's probably going to be a Boston Celtic for the rest of his life. I, I just think it's a win-win at this point for everybody. I don't, I don't see a negative in this scenario. Picks could muck it up a little bit. Other players thrown in potentially, because I think the Sixers maybe want to unload Danny Green at this point. It's what it's like. I don't know if they can with him being hurt, but um, it's not 2K. I know that, but th- that, that's my thought. I just, I just think it works so well. I've always thought that the perfect system for Ben Simmons right now is Boston. And I still think that because I think his perfect position is power forward. Him next to Tatum is your three, four. I'm not, I'm not coming up with a better way to counter that. There's Davis and LeBron and that's about it. It's scary, but also remember that the Sixers went that defensive route a few years ago. Granted, a bit different, it, and it fell flat. Mm-hmm. To me, like, yeah, it looks great on paper, and that's a phenomenal defensive squad, and I'm sure it would be. But I, I wonder with Tatum's shooting slump this year how effective it would be. If Tatum's playing at that all-star perennial level, then, I, yeah, I think it does a lot. But with the struggles this year – who knows? But I would do that trade in heartbeats. I would hope Celtics fans would – well, actually, no. I know Celtics fans don't want to do it because they love Jalen Brown. They think that they can coexist together, which I don't think they can. I, I think it's a, there's a world where they can, but I don't think Boston is the place where they can do it. I think they need to be on maybe the yeah. Spurs, the Warriors, a team that's just a very cohesive unit, a very – winning is everything above personal success type location. That's never going to be Boston. We say just these predictions, like every episode we do, and we get absolutely bullied for them. And then like, give it some time and they like come to fruition. When that happens, I will slander every one of you who made fun of me. As you should. And that was even before Kemba Walker fell off. Imagine (laughs) 
Imagine now if you said if you throw Kemba Walker in there, people would have scoffed at you a year ago. But here I am looking like a genius. I know. It's crazy. Urban Meyer's the coach of the Jaguars. Look at that. <laughs> we'll get into that. All right. Let's stay on the Sixers here for just one second. The, uh, this past weekend, Sixers had a big matchup with the Warriors. It was an NBA TV, national TV game because two high-key, high, excuse me, marquee teams, you know, very, very well-known rosters, but also a man named Steph Curry going into that game was, was just 10 threes off of breaking, breaking, not tying, breaking the all-time three-pointers made record in NBA history, Ray Allen's record. And everybody and their mother was just convinced he was going to do it. I went on Twitter all day and I, I'm someone who focuses very, very carefully on how you word something, not just that you did something. And I kept seeing all these posts about watch Steph Curry as he goes for the record, watch Steph Curry break the record tonight against the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm just thinking Steph Curry is the greatest ba- shooter in the history of the sport of basketball. And I Wait, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you just say that every time you tweet, you carefully think about the wording? No, 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 no. When I read other people, my wording's terrible. I don't did that doesn't apply to me. Okay. <laughs> Let's. I just. I would like to just let everyone know that in high school, Robbie sent this tweet that said, "If you think about it, we're all naked under our clothes," and there were like three misspellings in it. Yeah. And the tweet itself right. was heinous. That sounds about right. Um, but regardless, I'm a terrible tweeter. You, you can quote me on that and you can read all my tweets. It's hilarious. Regardless, at the, the way these tweets were worded was just he was going to break the record. They, they were just, for whatever reason, certain. And to me, it just sounded like y'all really just wanted to do it on national TV so you can get millions and millions of viewers and millions and millions of dollars because Steph Curry broke the three-point record on national television. Not because what's really going to happen, Steph Curry is going to break the record in Charlotte in two days. <laughs> it was stupid. The Sixers are one of the best defensive teams in basketball. They have one of the best defensive players in basketball. Matisse Thibault, when guarding Steph Curry, held him to two of 13 shooting. It's, it, it, this isn't Steph Curry slander. This isn't Matisse Thibault slander. This is just, you cannot predict even the best shooter in the world is going to make 10 threes in a game. It's just, I don't care how three-point heavy the game is going. 10 made threes is ridiculous no matter how many times the guy's done it before it is it is not something seven which is what they're saying that you know what he has to do now is still insane it's still so many it's much more doable because it's Steph Curry but it's still I don't want to go out and predict that this guy has to make seven threes let's just be patient and when Steph Curry hits two threes against Charlotte and breaks the record on Thursday or Friday whenever they play then let's be happy let's not make these crazy predictions and then get disappointed when Steph Curry has his first bad game of the season because he's human. He might shoot a basketball better than everybody else, but he's just like the rest of us. You just, I, I don't know. I was just taken aback by how certain everybody was of it. And, and Joel Embiid, just, he said exactly what it was. I wasn't going to let that happen. It just wasn't going to happen on my court. And I go, exactly. There was no scenario in the world where Steph Curry was breaking the record that game. So to everybody running all these social media sites for ESPN and NBA, you're who I'm coming after. You guys suck at your jobs. I am allowed to suck at my jobs because I'm an amateur. I don't have to make my tweets sound all nice. You do. That's your job. Amen. That's my rant. Um, But yeah, Steph Curry, what the real part of this is, is very, very close to breaking the NBA record, though. Going into tonight's game against the Pacers, he is just seven away. It is very possible today. 
who knows if he will do it. He might, <laughs> my, my opinion is he's going to tie it today and then, and break it in the next game against Charlotte. But who, who knows? Also just to me, why predict these things? Just let it happen and enjoy the moment. Moving forward from my Steph Curry rant, Zion Williamson of the New Orleans Pelicans has not played a minute yet this season, and it's looking less and less likely that he's going to uh, set back in his injury, no timetable for return. Uh, they are saying that they do believe he will play this season, but again, no real timetable. Pelicans, one of the worst teams in basketball right now. I, I assume I know this answer, but is, is this one of those situations where it's more important to, to get him back on the court and have him play some games this year? or rest and fully recuperate from this injury and be ready for, for next season. This is all on the basis that he wants to return next season. And I don't think he does. Mm. I think we have a bit of a Kawhi Leonard situation and not because of the injury, just a, I don't want to play for you anymore. I think Zion's family is probably telling him this. I think it's the case where, the Pelicans may want him back. First of all, they shouldn't rush him back, assuming he stays, because they suck, mm-hmm. and they will continue to suck. But even if that is the case, there's just no point. Like You're not making the playoffs. And on top of that, if you push him back and he gets hurt again, you're just going to further strain things. Like There's already a little bit of tension there, and I tend to believe it will just continue, especially if you force him to do something he does not want to do. It, it, it's true. The, the one thing I will say is since he's on his rookie contract, they do own his rights for essentially the next five years. But that's also only if he signs these guys. Like, yes, they can sign him to his rookie deal, but there are, you know, we're in the age where players have had the most power ever in terms of getting themselves out of a situation they don't want to be in. That is very possible. My issue, and this has been my, my only issue ever with Zion Williamson is the injury itself. Not, not necessarily this specific one, just the concept. Zion has been an injury-prone basketball player since high school. He, I, I could not tell you if he's ever played a full season in his career. It's, he is one of the most amazing athletes you're ever going to see. You're 300 pounds and moves like he, he weighs as much as me. It's incredible. But if it means he can only play 50 games a year, if it means every other year, every two years, he's going to miss most of a season – it's, it's something that teams and franchises never want to consider because especially because of the embarrassment factor, if you pick this guy, number one, overall, he's supposed to be your franchise, but at the end of the day, he, he's played maybe half as many games as John Morant who got drafted. Number two, one rookie of the year and is no question. The best player in that draft class right now. Look, I'm just worried. I, there, there's been so many players who've lost careers to injuries, so many freak athletes, Brandon Roy, Grant Hill, Derek, Ro- Derek Rose didn't lose his career, but he lost his, his stardom. I don't want that to happen to Zion, but I'm very terrified that it already is, is kind of starting to. And if I'm the Pelicans, I'm not necessarily trying to ship Zion away for whatever I can get because of it, but you got to be cautious. You have to understand that, that him not being your future is a very real possibility. Yeah, I. the only thing I'll say, like, yeah, he is injury prone. I mean, when you have a guy who's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and weighs 280 plus, that's, you're just, you're going to get injured without explosive plays. And I know you said that. I would say, though, his freshman year at Duke, I think he did play the entire season with the exception of when he blew out his foot, like, through his shoe 
or was out for like a few games. I think other than that, he played the full season. No, no, he and did. It, it's close. It, it, that that one was a stretch, but in high school, I know he missed some time. I, I follow his. I follow high school basketball a little closer than a lot of people do. Um, well, he's beating up kids who like failing algebra tests. <laughs> like four. <laughs> I, I love the memes that are like, imagine failing an algebra test and then having to get dunked on by Zion afterwards. <laughs> uh, it's terrifying, but you know, it's stuff like that. Those where it was always cool to see all these crazy dunks in his, his mixtape videos. But at the end of the day, I saw those and I was like, he's wasting his knees. He doesn't. Shaq probably knows this better than anybody. He's got three hundred pounds coming down on those knees. It's gonna. It's gonna wear out after a certain amount of time but you can't think that way i mean no you can't but also i'm just i know he can do it i know it's a spectacle and i know it got him drafted number one overall out of duke university but as a player you should just know when it isn't isn't worth doing those all the time i know it's fun i know it's great but especially now at this point zion don't worry about that stuff just get yourself back on the court that's not get yourself back to 360 dunking just get yourself back on the court putting up 20 and 10. I was going to say that he's got to lose some weight and that's, I, that's not a hot take by any means and you shouldn't like body shame or whatever, but it's not sustainable at the very least. That, that, that's what I'm saying. It's, you know, he can be in a, you know, we, we've seen what, you know, I want to say quote unquote overweight basketball players before it's happened, but none that move like him, none that put the pressure on his lower body like him. That's why he needs to lose weight. Not exactly. Like you said, not because we're body shaming him, but just because based off of his play style, it's going to be way more beneficial if he's got about 30 to 40 pounds less on his body there. It's, it's again, it's not college. You're not bigger than everybody anymore. All right. Last little bit for the NBA here. The Milwaukee Bucks have been pretty good after a slow start, got Chris Middleton off the COVID list and got, got hot there. As of yesterday, we're 18 and 10 second in the Eastern conference. I brought them up because they, they had lost the game to Miami 113, 104, and they were losing basically the entire game. And I specifically brought this up because Bam and Jimmy both did not play for the Miami Heat while Milwaukee was more or less at full strength. No Lopez, no DiVincenzo. But this is a tough loss. You know, obviously any team can win on any given day. The Heat were clearly just in a little bit of a rut and just hit the stride they needed to to break out of it. But I just looked at this game and I just kept seeing the things I've always seen in the Bucks of of just the little things they don't do. Giannis taking bad shots, not being aggressive enough. Chris Middleton taking contested threes and not driving at the basket and absolutely whatsoever zero inside presence other than Giannis onto the Kumpo. So there's a couple questions here. First, does the, the Brooke Lopez right now is, has no timetable for his return. He had become one of the best rim protectors they had maybe in the league. How much does his, you know, present, you know, not having his presence affect them. And, and two, is this team still the favorite, to win the East, or are they going to have to make some kind of, uh, obviously not a major move, they just want an NBA title, but but a, is there a piece they need to go out and acquire to, to for, for fans to feel comfortable in their ability to repeat? Two things. One, I distinctly remember you slandering Brooke Lopez as a person. Always will. I, I know. I, I think he provides a lot, especially in Milwaukee's system. Mm-hmm. a stretch five while you have some and a lot of them are the superstars they're very hard to come by unless you have a cat or a Joel Embiid and not to say they're three-point gods by any means but they can shoot it mm-hmm. uh Brooke Lopez does give you a bit of shooting a bit of rim protecting he's not he's not the best it never will be he was definitely not the worst and 
He provides Giannis with a little bit less defensive duty-wise, which is always good because, I mean, he's does plenty. He does a lot for that team. I know, like, he could be better and should be better, but he was a vital part. Not having him is super – it's a big negative mm-hmm. for the Bucks. Yeah, I, I agree. They, they've had Portis fill in as the starting center. They brought in DeMarcus Cousins, who's a shell of what he once was. To, you know, I don't want to say necessarily center is their biggest issue because you always have the option to throw Giannis in at center. But, you know, that that's, that's you know, the other half of this question is, is there a clear and obvious move that they can make to bolster them? Is it a center? Is it something else? Or would they have to make a more drastic move to, to feel, you know, have, feel comfortable in their ability to repeat? Here's the thing. I think they're poised, or at least the way they're set up, I think they can 100% do a repeat of the Eastern Conference. Like, not get the number one seed necessarily, but win the East. Their tests are going to be the Nets, obviously. And I'll throw the Heat in there just because you have to get through that gritty bit of... If, if everyone's playing for the Heat, yes. Yes. To me... They really didn't lose a whole lot in the offseason other than P.J. Tucker. They're a good team when they're in full gear. And, you know, they have their inconsistencies. We've known that the entire time. I mean, we were on this podcast a few months ago spouting how the Phoenix Suns are going to win the title guaranteed after going <laughs> at 2-0 or Mike Budenholzer should be fired. This is this. So they've proved us wrong in the past. They now have some veteran experience in the playoffs. I would never count them out, and I don't think any move they could do that would be drastic enough to, like, guarantee them to get out of the East, like, it would mortgage their future, which Mm -hmm. Giannis is the piece you want to keep, but I I don't know. I like the core they have. Not opening the full discussion, but just off the cuff, is Giannis the best player in basketball right now? Um, No. Cool. Just going to keep bringing that up. Every once in a while throughout the course of the year. See but he's easily changes. top five. That's oh, yeah. something that's super important. Oh, yeah. I'm just I'm just going to keep bringing it up because this, to me, I've always expected Giannis at some point to ascend, and I think this is the beginning of said ascension. I just don't, you know, I'm, I, I want to gauge the timetable. That's all, you know, I'm here for it. I'm, this is for the first time that we in our lifetime are going to get to see the, like, the full career of one of the great all-time best ever players. So, you know, right. health, health permitting. Because, yes, we saw, like, we were alive for all of LeBron's career, but me personally, I didn't really start watching basketball until at least 2006, which, you know, had already been the start of LeBron's career. But Giannis, I remember his first few games. I remember his first few seasons. And I remember everything up until this point. So it's just, I'm very excited about Giannis now. It's someone I've put under a lot of pressure, put under the spotlight a lot, and he's answered every single call. So just, just wanted to question it up. So that's what our NBA report looks like. We'll have more storylines, God knowing more Ben Simmons stuff to talk about next week. Uh, But for now, we're going to finish up here with two weeks of football as we didn't really do a full football report in terms of score breakdowns last week. We just kind of caught you up to date on what we had missed over the last few weeks. So to catch you back uh, up in full, we are basically done week 14. We're recording here on Monday night with just the Monday night game left. So we're going to go back a week to start into week 13, which kicked off on Thursday night with the Dallas Cowboys beat the New Orleans Saints 27-17. Not a super exciting game. Taysom Hill did run for over 100 yards for the Saints, but 
didn't really matter. Cowboys defense dominated most of the game. I'm going to touch on the Cowboys a little more after we do their second report because there's a player in specific that we need to talk about. Um, but, we'll, but we'll get to that because he had a big performance in, in week 14. Uh, just a couple just kind of almost pointless games that started off week 13. Tampa Bay beat Atlanta 30-17. to 17. Tampa Bay looking red hot right now. Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken, they're still in the mix for the playoffs, but mm-hmm. but who knows what they're going to do. And then Arizona beat the Bears 33 to 22. It was Kyler Murray's first game back, but he they didn't have to throw the football very much. They ran down the Bears' throats all, all game long. James Conner had two touchdowns again. He's been an animal this year. And then the Chargers ran over the Cincinnati Bengals 41 to 22. Um, let, let's talk about the Bengals for a second. We're going to talk about them a decent amount, but they've been very inconsistent. We talked you know, week four, week five about how they were rising. Then we talked how they crashed back down. Then they had that massive win over Pittsburgh. We were like, okay, maybe they're legit again. Now this loss, spoilers, they lost in week 14 too. There's only one question to ask. Is this team going to be able to make the playoffs? Oof. I believe right now they're the seventh seed. I believe so, oh. yes. It's either six or seven. It depends on the tiebreaker with the Bills and the Colts. I, I think they can scamper into the playoffs. The AFC is so close that it's going to be decided by the last week. Their problem is, though, they're such a young team where they're going to lose a lot of close games before they mature and get older. And also it brings up the question, is Zach Taylor the right coach? I, I think in the long term, no. But do you fire him at the end of the season if he doesn't make the playoffs? Do you kind of ride it out for another season? Give Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow another season? You know, see, it's hard for me to say because I always just like the Bengals suck and there's nothing you can convince me of otherwise. However, I think offensively they have found it. Because first of all, I have always been a hater of Joe Mixon. I think he's been so overrated his entire career, have never understood it. I get it this year. I, I understand. He is incredible. He, he is a scoring machine. Health-wise, he has some issues. He, he's never been able to play a full season, but he's been healthy most of this season. I think offensively, they have figured it out. Their defense, to me, is still one of the worst in the league. It's not statistically in the bottom 10, but it is in that middle range. It's, it's the reason they keep losing games is because the, offensively, they can keep up with the Bills. They can keep up with probably even the Chiefs. But defensively, they couldn't stop. They could stop the Steelers, but my flag football team in college could have stopped Ben Roethlisberger at the age of 40. That's the weakness for since that's, that's always been their weakness. A few years back when they were making the playoffs with Andy Dalton, their defense was the, more of the issue than their offense. It's always been that case for them. And I did just look it up. They're not even out of the wild card right now. They're, they're nine because they, they no longer hold the tiebreaker over Cleveland. They actually never did hold the tiebreaker over Cleveland and they have the same record. So Cleveland is eight right now. And Cincinnati is nine at seven and six. Also Pittsburgh, just a half game back in the division. I don't necessarily think, I think the Steelers might lose the division. I don't know if the Bengals are going to finish last, but I have no hope for them to make the playoffs. It's that is the Bengals hater in me, but also the realist being, I just, they can, it's, they can play half of football. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't see it. 
I, I don't know if you fire your coach though, because this is the best season you've had since those Andy Dalton years. Um, but maybe maybe shake the right the defensive track. team. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know if this is the guy, but you, this is as close as you've been in a long time. Uh, as for the Chargers, though, they've also been relatively inconsistent. Um, no Keenan Allen this week was out on COVID. Still picked up – oh, excuse me. He missed week 14, not week 13. In week 13 against Cincinnati, everybody played and everybody played well. Week 14, the Chargers were still able to handle business without Keenan Allen. They, they've been back and forth. They're up to the five seed now, though, in the AFC again. Um, are they a lock to make the playoffs at this point? Yes. Uh, just to okay. like, sorry, you're thinking. plain and simple. They are firing offensively. They, I know they're inconsistent. They had a bad stretch in the middle of the season, but they seem to have that worked out. Knock on wood for them. And defensively, I think they have a very strong, good defense. They're, they're playing well. They're beating good teams. I, I also think you're in that bit of a Bengals situation, though. You have a young quarterback who's inexperienced in clutch time scenarios and I think that may hinder them in the playoffs however it's good for them and they'll need to learn at some point but I think they're a lock they're eight and five right now so they're ahead of the pack that's all seven and six in the AFC yeah yeah not in a bad spot by any means yeah I I think they're I don't necessarily know if I'll because it's just one game say they're a lock but to me of that whole bunch of wild cards they're they're the team I'm most convinced has has a shot. So I'm, I would pretty much punch that ticket at this point. Chargers looking pretty good this year. A little inconsistent, but pretty good. In my opinion, the biggest news that came out of uh, week 13 was the Detroit Lions finally picked up win number one in a last second touchdown uh, to from Jared Goff to Amon Ross St. Brown uh, to, to cap off a 29-27 victory over the Vikings. The social media blew up when Jared Goff's ridiculously hot girlfriend was just on the beach ec- ecstatic that her boyfriend won a football game. Uh, they did lose again in week 14. Their record right now is 111 and 1 or 1111. Pretty fun. Uh, that, that's it, though. Vi- Vikings suck. Kirk Cousins doing the Lord's work to finish 500. Um, that's right. The Colts shut out Houston in week 13, 31 to zero. The bigger news though is uh, congratulations to you, my friend. Happy 75% day back from week 13, retroactive to week 13. The Eagles have now locked up the Colts first round pick this year as Carson Wentz has played officially 75% of the Colts offensive snaps this year. He can miss every game for the rest of the season and Eagles fans don't have to worry about it because that pick is theirs. You guys now will have two picks in the first round thanks to that trade. Uh Three. Three? That's fancy. We have the Dolphins pick. That I always forget that, and that's going to be – it's going to be a mid – so basically you're going to have uh, – okay, so in theory you should have had a really good pick because you guys should have been much worse than you are. But and so instead of having a pick in the beginning, middle, and end, you're going to have basically two in the middle and one at the end. That's still not a very bad place to be for a rebuilding franchise. Are you saying we're going to the Super Bowl? No, but I'm saying you guys should make the playoffs based off how stupid easy your schedule is the rest of the way. <laughs> and that's where disappointment leads to, Robbie. Oh, I'm so aware. I'm a Steelers fan. But I know. <laughs> that's it for that game. Carson Wentz, honestly, still playing for the Eagles at this point. Co- couple of pointless games that we're just going to mention real quick. The Dolphins beat the Giants 20-9. to The Giants are miserable this year. 
Eagles behind the Minshew mania went 33 to 18 over the Jets. Big win there. Uh, Jalen Hurts is projected to start week 15, not going to be supplanted by Gardner Minshew by any means. The football team took a big uh, clutch time dub in week 13 over the Raiders 15-13, which momentarily had put them in the playoff picture. We'll get to the football team for, for how their future looks, but they're very much still alive in that wild card mix. But we're going to move to the Rams and the Jaguars. The Jaguars are going to be a hot topic for these past two weeks. If you have Twitter, you know that. Urban Meyer, James Robinson, Marvin Jones, everybody's getting in on it. I don't even know where to start with all of this drama. But basically, the gist of it is the players are not happy based off of playing time, based off of success, based off of it seems like they don't believe in Urban Meyer or his assistant coaches. Urban Meyer clearly has some kind of, I think, a mole in his system that keeps le- like leaking information, apparently. I don't even know. And then you, you have this breakout star for, in James Robinson from last year, who wasn't even projected to start. The guy ahead of him got COVID, and he had a breakout season. Had has has He got removed from the game at some point against the Rams due to injury, was fine to come back, but then got replaced by Carlos Hyde, who if we all remember, played for Urban Meyer at Ohio State. What what message does that send to your players that no matter how good you are, no matter how hard you fight to get back on the on the field, your coach is just going to play favorites? Robbie's going with the veteran leadership. When Carlos has Carlos Hyde ever provided veteran leadership? <laughs> I know. I, I'm messing around. <laughs> I, Urban Meyer is an idiot. A moron, whatever word you want to describe him. <laughs> Just, I, I don't even know where to begin because this has been ongoing for weeks. We thought it was a little bit over when they were actually able to win a game. But he's not cut out for the NFL. I, I feel confident saying that. You have, I, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is a bust. He's playing awful this year. I think that's partially a byproduct of the coach. Mm-hmm. And the Jaguars should clear house after this year. I mean, like with the coaching staff, not. Yeah, get rid of Trevor Lawrence, get rid of Travis Etienne. Just clear. Totally sell house. Start new. Not the way to go. Coaching staff, though, that might be the way to go. I I think Urban Meyer's essentially already fired. I think so at this point. And the whole thing, I saw the quote about him, like, people leaking information was that saying like someone was leaking their plays to the other team was that what he was accusing them of? i think so honestly that part really confused me because i only saw right. like blocked parts of his quote i didn't see the whole thing so um i'm not entirely sure <laughs> but, but either way something in their locker room has to be addressed in terms of what people say outside of said locker room there's two ways you can go about this. Do the Condoleezza Rice thing that the Browns did and figure out who the mole is? <laughs> or let's say there is no mole. You're just that bad that you have to assume that someone's leaking your plays because they're right. that awful and garbage. They're just to blow up. Oh, my Lord. That'd be funny. Um, but then you couple this with Marvin Jones, their veteran wide receiver who's been their best receiver all season, came out and said he he literally thinks that the assistant coaches essentially are losers. Like, they don't know how to win football. Not, not losers as in, like, they're – dumb menial people like losers and they don't know how to win football games which is in theory not true because urban meyer brought in a lot of his his staff from ohio state but 
as you mentioned, it's NFL success that's more important here. And that's something they have none of absolutely, absolutely zero. And to, to play favorites to, you know, clearly have some kind of communication issues with your players. And, and then to have a guy like Marvin Jones, who is, you never hear this guy's name because he never does anything outspoken. He's a very solid, good football player. And if he speaks out about something, it's, it's clear that it's an issue because he's only going to speak out about an issue if, if it really needs to be addressed. And, and clearly Urban Meyer is that issue. Um, we're going to get into it a little bit more for the week 14 report, but the Jaguars, I, I think you're right. I, I, I think, like you said, like they don't have to blow up house in terms of players, but the coach, it's a mess. They're, there's, it's like the Bulls a few years back when the players basically came out and said they don't respect Jim Boylan. It, it, it's very similar to that, in my opinion. It's clearly Urban Meyer does not have control of his own locker room, and that is what I have to assume step number one for a new coach coming into the NFL. Should have drafted Justin Fields, like I said, but hey, that's fine. We, we, I'm not mad. Don't dwell on the past, man. <laughs> okay, one of the most sloppy hideous games of football you're ever going to see but was maybe the closest of them all in week 13 was the Steelers and the Ravens Pittsburgh came out on top 20 to 19 in Pittsburgh Baltimore had scored a touchdown with time expiring uh, essentially time expiring and opted to go for two this is a very ballsy call that look I don't necessarily blame Harbaugh for going for it, especially because the way that game was going, it's nobody wanted to play overtime. You didn't want that game to have to keep going. And Pittsburgh's defense, where it obviously it has its abilities to get the job done, but also clearly has vulnerabilities, going two yards against that defense shouldn't be all that difficult. Couldn't get the job done. So the question of was it the right call? obviously going to get brought up to me. I think it was the right call. I think you try and put a team like Pittsburgh away and you missed the bigger issue comes when we'll get to their performance in week 14 is that now Baltimore on a two game losing streak. I I don't necessarily think they're in any threat to lose a division despite only holding a one game lead right now, but that one seed in the AFC seems essentially out of reach at this point. Again, even though it's, it's still only one or two games, that feels very unachievable for this Ravens team. There's just that missing piece that it's maybe regular season. They do fine, but it's going to come back to bite them in the playoffs. It's been their defense. They just can't get stops when they need to. And now we'll get to it in week 14, but they're going to have a whole other offensive issue to deal with too. Yeah. Going back to the Steelers game that going for two, that's one of those things where if he got it, he looks like a genius. If he didn't, he looks like an idiot. He, Went for it. He had the right play call. It was basically enough pressure where Lamar Jackson threw it a little too hard to Andrews, who tipped it up and almost caught it himself. You were a few inches away from winning that game. And, you know, for you, that's awesome. Like, that's exactly the the result you wanted. Uh, So, you know, John Harbaugh's not a bad coach by any any means. The dude has a Super Bowl and has continued success. But yeah, losing Lamar Jackson that game, losing to the Browns, who, another fun degenerate storyline, uh, someone bet $317,000 on the Browns to win by minus two and a half, and they won by two. That's devastating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Devastating. Oh, man. Yeah, let's just get to this real quick. We're not going to fully dive into 14 as there's a little 13 left, but the, the big news from that Baltimore-Cleveland game in week 14 was that Lamar Jackson had to get carted off the field 
believe ankle injury was what it was officially deemed. No word yet on if he's going to miss time. Um, but Tyler Huntley is the backup. He has played in, in two games now this season already. Um, no idea if they're going to limit their playbook or not based off of a Jackson injury. It, it isn't, from what I understand, expected to be too terribly serious, but it is something that could hold him out a couple of weeks. And that is the thing that could put that division back up for play. Because again, even Pittsburgh 6-6-1 six, six, and one, is very much still in contention for the division title. Baltimore is what, 8-5? and five? In five. Eight and five. That's a game above Cleveland and Cincinnati and just a game and a half above Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not going to win. Their schedule's too difficult at this point. But Cincinnati and Cleveland, those Cincinnati is a team you have to worry about. Um, even though Cleveland's a team that just beat them. Cream Hunt also got hurt in that game. Way less important, obviously, being the backup running back for the Cleveland Browns versus the starting quarterback for the Ravens. But that that's the update on the Ravens. Two-game losing streak. And now potentially no Lamar Jackson. If, if Lamar Jackson doesn't play the rest of the regular season, are the Ravens, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to fall too far to miss the playoffs, but are they going to lose the division? And if so, to who? They'll definitely lose the division. Oof. You think the Browns will be able to scoop it out? Don't, don't say this. No, I think it, I, 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 I can't physically. I don't think the word, the sentence, the Browns are going to win the division is in my vocabulary. I have to say Cincinnati. But you just talked about how inconsistent they are. And the Steelers aren't going to win because you talked about how bad they are. This entire division went from, I think this is the best division in football to, I think this is the second worst division in football to, I'm sorry, the NFC East. Um, the, the, I think by number of wins, it's the best division of football, though. It, it might be, but also just the inconsistencies between them Maybe is the just West. mess. It's just messy to me. It's, it is. You know, Baltimore defense, Cleveland passing game, Cincinnati defense, Pittsburgh, everything. Like, just consistency in general. I mean, there's, there's just clear and obvious holes to every single one of these teams. But then you also have guys like Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. TJ Watt game changers on these rosters. That's why we see the potential, but also there's inconsistencies. I just described Pittsburgh's defense essentially in the way I want to describe the entire AFC North. There are superstars at every level of the Steelers defense, but everybody else filling in those individual spots are miserable football players. That's the AFC North. So yeah, Ravens on a little skid there. That whole division still very much up for grabs. Just to cap off week 13 here, Seattle had a surprise victory over San Francisco, 30-23. to 23. The Monday night game was one to forget if you're a Bills fan, one to remember if you're just a fan of tough-nosed football. The New England Patriots beat the Buffalo Bills 14-10 to 10 on Monday night. But the big stat, Mac Jones only had to throw three passes for the New England Patriots. The rest of the plays were run plays, whether by him, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, or any other of the Patriots back that got in on the fun. Ugly conditions, ugly game, and the Patriots came out on top. It just seemed like the Bills were never able to compensate. Like It wasn't that they weren't adjusting. They just weren't able to stop the run game. Which do you think it was, though? Was it, was it just a lack of adapting, or was it simply they just had no answer? It primarily was the fact that the offensive play calling was not good. They were trying to throw their way out of it. I, so before that game, my buddy was like, do you want to throw a football outside? Because it was windy at Buffalo. Like, 
cars were being blown across, not stationary cars, but if you were driving, like your car was being shifted by the wind. We went outside, threw a football. He was 10 feet away from me. He threw it straight at me. It curved 10 feet to the right. <laughs> it like shot off from a gust of wind. So just keep that in mind as perspective. Granted, you have NFL caliber players, obviously, like receivers and quarterback. But throwing the ball is so tough. Like some of those incompletions Josh had were because of the win. Not to say like all of them were, but it's hard to throw a football. And despite the fact they have three competent running backs, they really did not shy away from passing for better or for worse. And I think that was kind of what led to the downfall. They couldn't stop the run, which didn't help until the probably the fourth quarter, basically. Mm-hmm. But it almost didn't matter. I, they were always in that game. Mm-hmm. The big one was Damian Harris's – or no, it wasn't even Damian Harris's other guy, I thought. Stevenson. Stevenson, yeah. He had a big run in the first quarter, and which was the, like 60-yard touchdown. Okay, fine. No, no, that was Harris. That was Harris. It was? Okay. The the worst part was Harris like pulled a hamstring or like got injured and then was still like getting like twelve fifteen yard gouges. I tend to believe though if they would have stuck to that game plan, but if the Bills were able to stop them, they would have pulled some like bullshit trick play. I like I was so sure Josh McDaniels was going to pull that out because it was a close game. Uh, you know, I, the Patriots are good. I think the Bills just – the Bills are not one of those teams that when they're down, they'll just come back and win. They need yeah. to be ahead. And they can keep the lead, but they need to be ahead. And they drove up the field a little too late, and they were just throwing completions and whatnot. So I got nothing to say about that. It kind of goes back to the stagnant run game. Granted, Matt Breida did have a fumble near the red zone or maybe in the red zone, which hurt them, but also they got the ball in the red zone when um, – the Patriots muffed the punt, so it mm-hmm. evens out in the end. Tough, tough, tough game. Bad conditions. I think if it's any other team, they would have won that game. But just that the Patriots are used to cold, windy conditions, I like they were suited mm-hmm. to play in that. Oh game. yeah, I got I got two two notes here. Number one, you said the Bills have three competent running backs. I would like to aggressively disagree. I think you have three incompetent running backs. Um, I think you have three guys that all do one thing. Matt Breida catches football. Zach Moss runs forwards and Devin Singletary occasionally doesn't drop the football. That's what your running backs do. That's a very large part as to why your running system sucks is you don't really have a good running back. That being said, you have the bills have to do what the Patriots did and understand the conditions you're playing. You don't have to limit your offense to only throw the ball three times. That was a bit dramatic, but it worked obviously, but the bills had to just, you know, whatever you have to do, add a second tight end, bring in a sixth offensive lineman, fully commit to running the football. They, they not just went as far as threw the ball in these terrible conditions as many times as they did to the point where they lost. They didn't learn anything because we're going to talk about week 14 in a second here, but the Buffalo bills played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in, in week 14. And in the first half, how many times did Josh Allen hand the football off? Zero. We'll get to that in a little bit here, but they, they learned nothing from the New England Patriots. Before we get fully into week 14 here, though, we're going to take a little midsection. I skipped Sunday night because that game included the Denver Broncos. They lost 22-9 to to the Kansas City Chiefs. 
where they, they played in week 14, bounced back 38 to 10 win over the Lions. What happened in between though is unfortunate, very unfortunate news. Former Super Bowl champion and Denver Broncos wide receiver Demarius Thomas passed away last Thursday on the, at the age of 33. Played, obviously won a Super Bowl in Denver, played for the Jets, played for the Patriots for a short period. Everybody that, you know, was talking about this, whether on social media, on sports casts, whatever, would talk about how just fantastic of a person Demarius Thomas was and how, the, you know, their, their kids looked up to him. There was this story came out that a, a teammate's kid just sat next to him all, all flight, just playing games, eating food. It was, it was adorable. It was tra- absolutely tragic to, to hear for, I mean, just as a sports fan, but as a human being in general. So absolutely, you know, our thoughts with his teammates, his friends, his family, obviously all of Broncos nation and the other, all the other franchises he, he got the chance to play for. Very hard news to hear, especially seeing that he went so young, but he was honored. Justin Simmons had a first two, two honors on it. Actually, first off the Broncos lined up with only 10 men on the field to start the game against the lions, that 11th spot being for Demarius Thomas. And then they took a delay of game of which the Detroit lions very politely declined said penalty. Um, And then second, when Justin Simmons got a late interception, they had Demarius Thomas's number etched into the, to the turf on the sideline and he put that football right there on Demarius's number to remind him that that game was for him. So congratulations to the Broncos on the win. And then of course, heavy hearts for Demarius Thomas thoughts with him. Absolutely. Moving forward here into week 14, we've talked briefly already about some of the games. Let's, let's go back to the beginning on Thursday night where Pittsburgh traveled to Minnesota to break my hearts. Started well, just, before you get into this, I'm gonna let you go. Like this is this is your game. You can talk about it, say whatever you'd like. I will back off. I'm gonna try so hard to keep this short, guys. Pittsburgh went down 29 to nothing to start this football game. It was like it, I wasn't even mad because I was just just sitting there like and not even in shock, just numb to it at this point because it, it's it's not like I see the Steelers go down 29 nothing all the time, but just the way they were giving up big plays, the way that the Vikings were moving the ball and stopping the Steelers on defense was just exactly how it's supposed to be done. It's just, it just, it's exactly the way I keep seeing them get beat every single time. The Vikings just did it perfectly for a half of football. The, that being said, the Steelers have done one thing much better this year than they did last year. And that's, they are a much better second half football team. They did come storming back. They went on a 28 to nothing. No, excuse me. They, did not go on a 28 to nothing run, but they went on a very large run, brought it back. Minnesota then went up another score, 36 to 28, going into the final possession. So Pittsburgh needed a touchdown and a two-point conversion to win the game. They had already been successful on two two-point conversions before that. Um, and man, this is just when you're a young athlete, it is very easy to get caught up in certain moments in, in the heat of a competitive game where you're trying to come back. In, in a situation where your number is called upon to come up with an absolutely critical fourth down play and you have to convert and the really, really good ones make it happen. That's what Chase Claypool did. He got on a fourth and, and what was it? Fourth and nine, a huge nine yard conversion for the Pittsburgh Steelers saved the game and then immediately blew it because he started dancing while Pittsburgh had zero timeouts and what under 20 seconds left 
He does a little first down dance after a nine yard pickup. I had no words. I, I just kept staring and then looking at Twitter and then seeing the texts that were coming into my phone about how stupid Chase Claypool is. And I had no defense for, I didn't want to defend him. That is that there are mental lapses there. There are, you know, the drop the ball on the goal line as you're crossing the end zone type mental lapses. And then there are moments where you're just simply not thinking at all. And that is what Chase Claypool did. Chase Claypool was thinking about one person and that was number 11. That was him, not the Pittsburgh Steelers, not the offense, not the game himself. He is the most selfish player I've seen in the Pittsburgh Steelers uniform in a very long time. I'm trying not to get too heated here. I do not think he's going to play 50%, even 50% of the staffs next week. I would be very shocked if Ben Roethlisberger throws to him more than four times. This, the Steelers are very good at making you understand when you've made a mistake. And I think that's exactly what Mike Tomlin's going to do here. I don't think anything drastic like him getting shipped away next season is necessarily going to come of this, but this was dumb. This game essentially was Pittsburgh's season because there are so few winnable games left on their, on their schedule. And it dropped them back down to 500 in like what I've been saying all, all report is a wide open division. Chase Claypool didn't single-handedly blow this game for Pittsburgh. We still would have had to get in the end zone twice technically because it was a two-point conversion. But just, you got to know the situation. All I can hope for is that he learns from it and this never happens again. That being said, as hard as I fought for it all year, the Pittsburgh Steelers are not going to be making the playoffs this season. They will still finish 500, though. I, I mark my words, 8-8-1. Eight, eight, yeah, I think Chase Claypool's been spending too much time with Juju Smith-Schuster being a clown. But even Juju didn't do it on the – Juju did it before games, after games. Whatever. Juju didn't do it on the field during the game. That's still moronic. I just want to let you know, but in a different sense. I, I understand, but it's you, – you can – I'm not going to get into it. Juju's better. <laughs> Let's move on from this travesty of a game and a season for the Steelers. Um, Atlanta beat Carolina 29-21. Cam Newton's spot in the starting lineup is still very much in question. They have no idea what they're going to do with him or their quarterback situation moving forward. Both these teams, they're still very much alive in the NFC wild card race. We talked about Baltimore and Cleveland already. Cleveland etching out the two-point win. Uh, and Kareem Hunt and Lamar Jackson leaving with injuries, the two big storylines out of that game. Seattle played Houston in week 14. Not an important game in terms of any playoff standing. Neither of these two teams are playoff bound. Um, but the Seahawks have been trying to get Rash- uh, Rashad Penny in for the last few years. First round pick last year. He's been injured a lot. They had obviously they've had Chris Carson. They've had uh, Alex Collins stepped up. Travis Homer gets a bunch of touches. He's their receiving back, but they finally were able, you know, in a, in a situation where they could commit to Rashad Penny as the downhill runner against a team like Houston, who really can't offer much resistance. And he exploded 16 t- uh, rushes for 137 yards and two touchdowns. He also had a one yard reception uh, for all those, you know, tight knit fantasy watchers. He was excellent. He was, he was my fantasy player of the week. He was excellent, broke out in a big way. And the assumption here is, you know, they're going to keep, riding with him as, as, as the lead back Chris Carson's out for the year already and if if he finds success this could be the end of Chris Carson's tenure in in Seattle but the same could go the other way this is the last year on Rashad's Penny's current contract if he doesn't step up his tenure in Seattle could be done my question is who's more worth it Chris Carson or Rashad Penny oh boy I 
Chris Carson is like such a tried and true method, especially when Marshawn Lynch left. Nah. You know, in the end, I don't think it matters just because it's so plug and play, but for for the sake of for the sake of just, you know, arguing, let's just say Chris Carson. The veteran. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I don't think it matters. Seattle's got a lot more problems than like just the running back situation. They need to deal with the O line. I mean, Russell Wilson may want outs even though he won't lead on to that. I don't know. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, we, we had talked about Russell Wilson trade talks last season. Not really coming up this year, but maybe more of an off-season type deal. But yeah, Seattle, just uh, basically everything's in flux for them right now. Uh, DK is kind of even having a down second half of the year. So we'll see what's up with that. Kansas City. Okay, let's talk about the Raiders for a second. Raiders held a team meeting on the Kansas City Chiefs logo before the game started. Typically a sign of disrespect towards the home team. Sure. First five touchdowns of the game, Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City, the Chiefs from Kansas City. The final score is 48 to nine, but the Chiefs scored five touchdowns to open the game after the Raiders did that. If Juju Smith-Schuster hadn't already proven this, don't disrespect other teams like, like in stupid ways like that. Just don't do it, especially when the other team has the best player in football on their team. Ugly game for the Raiders here. Um, they're also kind of messy in terms of the playoff race in the AFC right now. The Chiefs, however, seem to have turned the corner, and who knows if they're going to be the one seed, but to me, look like the strongest, most complete team in the AFC. Their defense red hot right now also. Okay, moving on here. New Orleans and the Jets did bout in week 14, pretty pointless 30 to nine win for the Saints to keep them alive in the wild card hunt in the NFC. Jets, however, eliminated from playoff contention as was bound to happen eventually. Um, is Taysom Hill going to be able to get the Saints to the playoffs? No, because they don't own the tiebreaker of the Eagles. And if you have to get through the Eagles, you've done something horribly wrong. <laughs> this is very true. All right, another team that just got eliminated. This is going to be part two of our, our Urban Meyer Jaguars rant. The Jaguars got eliminated from playoff contention after a 20 to nothing uh, shutout given handed to them by the Tennessee Titans, a Tennessee Titans team who was missing their best player. Um, James Robinson, six carries for four yards. I understand they were down. You have to throw the football. Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions. At some point, you just need to run the football for the sake of changing up what the defense is expecting. I don't know what more we can say other than that Urban Meyer is the worst coach in the NFL. That, that is my true 100% state. This, this is my, how, however I can lock in a statement, however I can make a catch. Urban Meyer sucks. That's all I have written down for this. That is literally it. He is terrible. Jaguars, please do yourself a favor and get rid of him and, maybe hold up on any more Ohio state guys. Cause that might be the issue. It's funny because this off season, either like a quarter of the coaches could get fired or like two could get fired. Uh, Literally. When we get to the giants, I'll talk about that in a sec, but like urban Myers on the hot seat. I don't, will he get fired? Who knows? Should he be fired? Uh, yeah. You yeah, talked about Zach Taylor and that's more of a kind of a discretion. Uh, We'll talk about Joe Judge shortly. 
Uh, you got Matt Nagy, who should be fired. You have Mike Zimmer is probably at that point where we should probably get rid of him. Yeah, I, I think Sirianni's safe at this point, but his name has been so. brought up. I think if the Steelers lose out, Mike Tomlin's name's going to come up, even though it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. If, if, the, if the Steelers fire Mike Tomlin after one sub-500 season, then I hope they don't win a game next year. Um, but yeah, no, the, 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 those you're listing just a handful of, of the names. To me, Meyer and Nagy are the, the two most like desperately needing to be fired with Mike Zimmer very, very close behind. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that. As you said, Joe Judge coming up soon. Um, let's talk about some of the other, other NFC East teams, though, as Dallas played Washington. Washington seeming to be the most likely candidate to make the playoffs in terms of a wild card team from this division, but did suffer a loss. An ugly, ugly game this was between Dallas and Washington, 27-20 final. Uh, Washington played very well in the fourth quarter, came back, had, forced a huge turnover, and then immediately turned the ball back over. They had – Taylor Heineke didn't get hurt, right? He just got replaced by Kyle Allen. I believe so. Because he was he was 8 of 22 at a point, not doing very well. Kyle Allen at one point I know came in for one snap because Heineke – it was right after a turnover and Heineke just kind of needed to gather himself. Um, and Allen had come in. But then Allen did come in for that last drive and immediately turned it over. Um, but the – the name that really needs to be highlighted right now is the rookie from the Dallas Cowboys, Micah Parsons, two sacks, le- leading all rookies in sacks. I think he's at 14, 14 and a half, something like that. Very close to the all-time rookie record. Defensive rookie of the year is locked up. He is the defensive rookie of the year. Does he have a chance to win the defensive player of the year? Because I, I see one... It, Defensive player of the year isn't specified by conference, right? There is just one defensive player of the year. There's one. So there's one name in, in his competition, and that's TJ Watt. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Diggs of the Cowboys as well, just because he leads the league in interceptions. But we all know his is a much more padded stat than, than Water Parsons. Yeah, Micah Parsons has been playing phenomenal. And I, I, as much as I want to mince my words about the Cowboys, he's been playing very well. And much more well-deserving than Trayvon Diggs. Yes. I want to put that out there. But yeah, no, he's playing very well. And like I had said before the draft, the two players I wanted for the Eagles were Devontae Smith or Micah Parsons if Smith didn't fall. I still think the Eagles made the right pick. I think the Cowboys just, for what they needed, like it was the right pick for them. Worked out. And, you know, yeah, no shout out to them for making that pick and for Parsons for, for living up to the hype. He was one of the high, most highly touted defensive players out of this draft class. So, well done on his end. Fantastic season so far. Hopefully he continues that. Not for, for Eagles fans' sake, hopefully, but hopefully for, for football fans' sakes, he continues his impressive play, just keeping it a, a tick under TJ Watt's play. Um, we mentioned Denver defeating Detroit. Detroit, after winning, immediately getting killed again. Tough for them, but they have their own issues. They, they have plenty of issues to worry about. We don't have to worry about them for them. Up to the Giants now. Giants got rocked by the Chargers 37 to 21 in this one you you want to bring up Joe Judge here um is he I'm gonna say Urban Meyer but is he maybe the coach that most desperately needs to be fired so Giants no he is not on the hot seat as per reports (laughs) yeah so Joe's all Jason Garrett's fault I he's not there anymore Freddie Kitchen's calling the plays so that's right uh do I think Joe, Joe Judge is not the long-term coach? 
would I give him another year? I mean, sure. And maybe that's the Eagles bias in me. But, like, that team's kind of a dumpster fire as well. Like, they need to clean house probably with the coaches and the players. I mean, Daniel Jones Daniel Jones is playing, like, Jared Goff when Jared Goff struggles. And that's not that's not a good yeah. ceiling. I, I think I agree with you and give him one more year because I think he deserves the right to have one hopefully fully healthy year of Saquon Barkley. But that being said, part of him potentially not getting fired halfway through next season has to be how he constructs the roster around him. Can you build the offensive lineup to make sure he doesn't get hurt again? Do you replace Daniel Jones? Can you get to the point where you realize that needs to be a possibility of replacing Daniel Jones? Can you add receiving depth so you have actual targets for him to throw to? Because Kenny Galladay is not great anymore. Sterling Shepard has never been that great. Um, Lots of offensive, I mean, lots of just issues for the Giants. But no, I think you're right. Give him one last season. It's always in sports to me for most players, coaches, three years. is If you can't prove you deserve to be there in three years, you don't deserve to be there. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And <clears throat> I, the Giants' defense was so heavily touted this year. I know Washington was as well, but the Giants' defense was supposed to be great, and they have not lived up to any sort of expectations this year. No, no, they have not. Um, no question the worst team in the NFC East. They're not necessarily the worst team in football, but like, I just, man, they're, I can't think of a good thing to say about them. And I don't mean that as I just hate the Giants. I just mean it as like, I don't know what they do well. I don't, don't know what they have going for them. They, they, they really don't. I mean, you could say Saquon. But, even, but that's if he can stay healthy. Bingo. Yeah, that's been the issue. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of the boat the Giants are in right now. The Chargers, we kind of talked about before they're, they're looking pretty good right now. Um, a couple division games left for them, but they, they should be able to clean up shop, get into the playoffs themselves. Kind of a cool thing that happened this last week. We had two overtime games take place in the late window. One of them, San Francisco and Cincinnati, the other Buffalo and Tampa Bay, but start with San Francisco versus Cincinnati of which the 49ers were able to be, uh, come out victorious 26 to 23 this game was all over the place at the end both teams looked like they were going to win Robbie Gold missed what would have been a game-winning field goal at the end of regulation Bengals then missed a field goal on overtime 49ers able to drive down the field George Kittle an absolute monster especially on that last drive had every catch except the last one which was if I'm not mistaken a Brandon Ayuk touchdown um big Big win for San Francisco as they look like they're trying to starting to hit their stride a little bit. Looks like they maybe aren't locking up a wild card, but are, are kind of solidifying themselves as, as that sixth team right now in the NFC. But on the other side, Cincinnati, another tough loss. It falls to seven and six, had a chance to be, you know, tied with Baltimore for the division lead, squanders it. Again, though, to me, this is the team that poses the biggest threat to Baltimore in terms of the division, just because they have the firepower to do it. I just don't think Cleveland does. Um, and don't even get me started on Pittsburgh. But, but a loss like that, I mean, they, their kicker has had issues all year. We remember that Packers game from, a, you know, week four or five, whatever it was. Um, McPherson was just as bad as Crosby in that game. You know, it, it came up again in this one you can't make field goals. You're not going to have much success in the NFL. I don't, I don't, by no means mean to 
put all of the blame on the Bengals kicker. But, you know, when, when you had a chance to at least take the lead in overtime, you would like to, and they just weren't able to. Um, but yeah, f- for me, the bigger takeaway though was, was San Francisco kind of figuring it out and being able to win a game that was, was that close tight knit. And, and George Kittle, I think, I think Kittle is as close as he's ever been to Travis Kelsey as for the best tight end in football. That's interesting. I mean, probably a few years ago, we would have said that, but yeah, Kelsey has really solidified himself as the best tight end and per Polia say people agreed, but people have also forgot how good and how dominant George Kittle is as a tight end. And I think yesterday was sort of that wake up call, which is nice. It was, it was tight end. You baby. We got the you. best of the best. Other overtime game was your Buffalo bills falling to Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 33, 27. Like I said, this was, this was lopsided. This was an ugly first half from Buffalo followed by an ugly second half by Tampa Bay. Like we alluded to, Buffalo did not handle the football off in the first half. Josh Allen recorded all of the rushing yards uh, for the team. They, they did have one fake punt play that was technically a rush to Matt Breida, but it wasn't a handoff. It was just a rush, you know, a direct snap to Breida. Also didn't work. Um, but either way, they did end up handing the ball off a handful of times. They were able to come back as the Buccaneers' pass defense especially is just not up to snuff. However, Richard Sherman did record what was, I believe, his 37th career interception, which is the most among active players. When you pay, play 20, 15, 20 seasons, it'll do it for you. But uh, either way, Buffalo was able to come back, force overtime. Josh Allen had a sensational, sensational second half. But in overtime, Brady got the ball first, and that was that was all that mattered. The, the, there was an awesome tweet, though, that I saw. Uh, I think Rashad Bate – no, not Rashad Bateman. Rashad Perriman is who caught the game-winning touchdown for Tampa Bay. There's this great stat. Rashad Perriman last year couldn't get on the field for the Chicago Bears, and now he's catching game-winning touchdowns against the Buffalo Bills for Tom Brady. Clearly being a knock on Matt Nagy and the Bears, but also just – Tom Brady can make anybody good. He's done it. His, this is by far the best set of receivers Tom Brady has ever had. And he's winning the game with Rashad Perriman, not Mike Evans, no Antonio Brown in this one, but not Chris Godwin, not Gronk, not even, not even playoff Lenny, Rashad I mean, Perriman. That play, Perriman got lined up against Tremaine Edmonds as a linebacker and was able to just outrun him. So incredible mismatch when you got Godwin Evans and Gronk like covered. Uh, but yeah, you want to talk about it? I full on, we were going to record yesterday and my dopamine just was gone at the end of the game. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you kind of take this one as you let me take the Pittsburgh game. I want to hear your thoughts about this because I, I just, my, my just thoughts on this are the bills are just wild. They have no idea what they're doing. That's my, that's my takeaway from it. They just don't know how to play football. They're just a bunch of athletic dudes. Well, I'm going to say a few things. You, I know Josh Allen's been on your fantasy team. I know you will text me and go, Josh Allen, fantasy-wise, is not playing well at all. I've actually George, traded him, so no more need for him. But <laughs> Perfect. So the per- what, I, what I will say, though, yesterday was a good glimpse into Josh Allen as a player. He is still dominant. He has such a bright future, and I think that kind of got lost when he had some of his bad games and, you know, the turnovers didn't help this year, but he is still dominant and such a great quarterback, especially that dual threat. That's number one. However, the first half and probably up until halfway through the third quarter, Tampa was just sending blitzes and people were just getting free runs at Josh. 
That line played awful for 60% of the game. There was one play where Devin White came right up the middle. You had Matt Breida try and block him. Devin White just, like, ran around him. Matt Breida missed a block, and he had a free shot at Josh Allen. Uh, I, you know, despite the fact it was 21-3, to ended up being 20 – let me think. Was it 27 – it was 27-10 at one point. Yeah. Because it was thir- – okay. sorry, I'm trying to figure out the score. At one point, yeah, it was it was twenty seven ten because then you you get a field goal and made it a fourteen point game. I remember I just kind of tuned in at that point. Well, the, that. the field goal was at the field goal was at the end where we tied it. Maybe I'm thinking backwards. Then I don't know. Whatever it was, it was twenty one to three like halftime, which was awful. But I just had this inkling, like watching the Bucks play the Eagles this year. The Bucks were killing them the first half, and then just kind of let the Eagles come back, and you know, Eagles lost by a touchdown, which was kind of expected. Uh, Buffalo obviously is a better offense and, you know, a comparable defense to the Eagles in different aspects. Second half, they came out, were able to stop Tom Brady a few times, hold him to a field goal every now and again. And the line started to shape up and we saw what Josh Allen can do. He was running all over the place. They were handing the ball off to Devin Singletary which I'm sure Tampa did not expect because they didn't run it at all. And they came back. They were down by three points. They had an incredible fourth and four conversion where Gabriel Davis stayed in bounds mm-hmm. after being tugged on. just ran through the cornerback. Yeah, that play Excellent was play. so insane because you had to come back, get the ball, and then avoid a tackle and stay in bounds. They drive down the field. They're within seven yards of the end zone. I I hate to be that guy who just complains about the refs, but there was a bit of a lopsided affair with PI calls yesterday. I I don't know how much you watched it, but there are a few instances. There are a few instances of jersey tugs. There's a third and not third and goal, but a third and shorts at like the seven yard line where threw a pass and looked like clear PI and they just didn't call it in overtime. When the bills got the ball, there's this Jersey tug on digs, which on third down, which ends up just being a punt and Brady gets the ball. It's little things like that, that shouldn't be the catalyst for winning or losing a game. The bills need to start off a lot better than that, which I'm sure they will be, but you, you can't, beat that and then in overtime uh just levi wallace got called for a pi when mike wallace was tugging at him or sorry mike evans was tugging at him i don't know it's frustrating to like have to blame it on the refs but a lot of the calls did not go the bill's favor and i don't know it was frustrating because i really thought they were going to come back and that was even before that was when they were down by 17 i was like there's still a chance if they can quit strings together some completions they'll do it uh my my girlfriend who you know been in buffalo for a number of years and super like she cares about the bills but really didn't watch football until we started dating she looked like it looked like every her life was sucked out of her she was so distraught after that i'm like that's the beauty of football that is yeah yeah your mood can just change like that 
Bears. In short, though, I think yesterday was a good indicator of the Buffalo Bills are good. They have some issues you need to work through. They're playing the Jets. They're playing the Falcons. They're playing the Panthers and the Patriots. Three of those four are very winnable. The Patriots game is the one that could go either way, you know, playing in Foxborough. But the AFC is so wide open that I really think they could do it. That They need to fix their shit, plain and simple. They do. Currently sixth in the AFC right now. Excuse me, seventh. Sorry, seventh, seventh. in the AFC right now. Um, below Indianapolis and below the Chargers for the two wild card seeds right now above Cleveland and Cincinnati. Josh Allen, however, I will say the one positive you can take away is you did find out who the best running back on your team is. That's Josh Allen. Absolutely. Uh, became the fourth became the fourth quarterback this season to rush for 100 yards, doing Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, and running back one Taysom Hill. So something to build off of is maybe using Josh Allen's legs a little more if you're not going to do a conventional run uh, offense, but you know just figuring it out. Seven and six is not where Buffalo ever expected themselves to be. Uh, the last game that has concluded for this week of football was last night's Sunday night football game between the big rivalry between the bears and the Packers. I say big rivalry. It's really more of like a, like an ownership type deal. Um, th- that was kind of the talk of the week was, was Aaron Rodgers when they beat the bears earlier in the season saying, I own you the whole idea that he's a part-time owner of the bears. The bears came out fiery. The bears were you know, clearly hungry to try and get this win and prove that they're their own franchise. Um, we're winning 27 to 24 at halftime. Jakeem Grant had two big plays, including what was the first punt return touchdown of the season, 97 yards. Uh, he also had like a 45 yard touchdown reception. Uh, so excellent half by him, but you know, with a lead, especially a slim lead against a good team, you're typically going to run the football, right? Trying to run some clock. No, the Chicago bears decided we're going to take a page out of the Buffalo bills offense. They had, David Montgomery's had an excellent season, they, like like low key, not, nothing insane, but a very good season when he's played. He ran the football one time in the second half. Uh, albeit the Packers got up very early in the second half, but David Montgomery, any running back should be touching the ball more than one time in a half when you're winning the start said half. They just abandoned the run game completely and it completely went the Packers way. Aaron Rodgers is going to win nine and a half out of 10 shootouts, that half being maybe against Tom Brady. Like, that's it. Like, that's the circumstance he loses. I mean, come on. I understand Matt Nagy is an issue. I understand Justin Fields is unproven, but this should have ended up being much more competitive than 45 to 30. With that being said, they were up, Bears were up by three at half. I, I felt so confident just being like, I'll wake up to Aaron Rodgers winning that game. And sure enough, yeah, blowout. Aaron Rodgers owns the Chicago Bears. Four touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, we forget how great he is, but at the same time, the Bears, that's their kryptonite. It is. It is. There's, this is no part-time ownership deal. Aaron Rodgers is the full-fledged owner of that Chicago Bears franchise. Um, and and he, he can literally at this point retire, and then nobody can ever say anything about that ever again. It's closed close book. But that that's it for... Week 14, uh, it'll culminate tonight with probably the biggest game of the week, the LA Rams versus the Arizona Cardinals. No longer going to directly decide the division, as I believe the Cardinals have a two-game lead over the Rams right now. But this is essentially LA's last chance to get themselves in the conversation for the division title. Um, However, if the Cardinals win, that'll give them a three-game lead, plus having won both games against the Rams would give them the absolute tiebreaker. 
So huge game for both teams. Who do you have coming out on top? Obviously, us listeners won't be hearing this till after the game's over, but. Let's align on this. I think the last game they played, the Rams got the break speed off them. I think the Cardinals will win again, but I think it'll be much closer. I think the Lions minus three for the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals will cover, and I think the over, over 51. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I don't think the uh, Rams will roll over and die. With that being said, I believe Jalen Ramsey is inactive tonight Oof. because of COVID, and Tyler Higby is. So those are big losses, but you got Odell. Maybe he's going to do something. Probably not, but you know, if there's a chance. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely possible. I'm going to say the Cardinals are going to win this. Not only are they more at full strength, they're actually getting Chase Edmonds back tonight, I believe, off the IR. James Conner probably still going to be the lead back, in, but uh, expect Ad, uh, Edmonds to get on the field a little bit again. Some ca- uh, some receptions out of the running back spot as well. Um, I'm going to stick with the Cardinals. They've been my team all year. They haven't really given me any doubt other than when Kyler Murray wasn't playing. So the only team I'm worried about in the entire NFL right now is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of my Super Bowl pick. I've all year been saying it's going to be the Cardinals. I think, I don't know if I've predicted the Super Bowl yet. I am going to predict that the Cardinals are going to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. That is my official prediction. And if, if not, then the Buccaneers are going to beat the Chiefs again. There you have it. There, there you have it. So those are our, our predictions for for tonight's game that's our recap of the last few weeks uh probably not enough time here to do projections for next week we're gonna try and work back on a more consistent schedule for that but um until next week hopefully this kind of ties you over in terms of sports hopefully more ben simmons drama i think i've been saying that every single week i just i really love it at this point um and then we will probably do a more in-depth playoff breakdown for the nfl next week as we get closer and closer uh we'll have just after after next episode, just three weeks of the regular season left. Because again, we have 18 weeks this season. This was the last bye week for teams. The Eagles and the Dolphins, I think, were the only two teams not playing this week. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Patriots. You're right. The Patriots, meaning one other team, was also off this week. Um, if you can figure that out, that's fantastic. If not, really doesn't matter. They're going to be playing next week anyway. So other than that, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Again, uh, shout out to the people, no, everybody affected by Demarius Thomas news. Uh, heart's heavy for that one, but we're here. We will be next week as well. And as always, giving you the rundown of what's going on. So have a fantastic week. We will be back with you next time. Take care, everyone.